There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. When Jesus said, you are gods, what did he mean? That statement has become a very controversial issue in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ because many New Agers try to use that verse to prove that Jesus taught the inherent divinity of all human beings. And some Christians use that passage to try and prove a godlike status for disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ right now in this world and in the world to come. So are these legitimate interpretations of Jesus's words or heretical, as many claim? This is a very important subject and a very controversial subject, and we need to inspect it in detail and go to the depth of what the Bible teaches. Let's go to John chapter 10, and I'm going to read quite a bit of this passage that contains that statement, because the Jewish authorities were withstanding Jesus's claim of being the Messiah, and it was within the framework of that confrontation that Jesus made these important statements that we're going to be focusing on. Let me read from verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said, How long do you keep us in doubt? Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Or the Messiah is the word they would have used. And Jesus answered them and said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Now that's a comforting statement, isn't it? But then the next sentence was what enraged the Jewish authorities. He said, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them and said, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Now, there's absolutely no passage of scripture that proves that Jesus claimed to be God manifested in the flesh any more than this one, because he did not refute what they said. But he 
came back at that statement in a very curious way. Jesus answered them and said, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? There it is, right there, John 10, 34. Jesus answered them and said, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. What a powerful statement. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. So the Father sanctified him or set him apart for a certain divine purpose and then sent him into the world, and he declared himself to be the Son of God. So what did Jesus mean? Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? To unravel the mystery, we've got to go back to the Old Testament, to Psalm 82, and we'll inspect that psalm very thoroughly. But then Psalm 82 is a reference back to Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6, and Exodus 22, verses 8 and 9. And I'll be repeating those passages, so you'll be able to write them down later if you happen to be taking notes. Let's go back to Psalm 82. Psalm 82 was actually a rebuke to the judges of Israel because they were treating people unfairly. They were very unjust in the way they dealt with certain issues, and they were taking bribes, and they were treating those that were wealthy in favorable ways, and those who were poor in unfavorable ways. And so Psalm 82 was a rebuke to them. It's a psalm of Asaph. And listen to what the psalm says from verse 1. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. And that's not talking about some pantheon of false deities in a foreign religion. You'll see in a few minutes, it is a reference to the judges of Israel. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, Selah? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Now, Psalm 82, verse 6. I said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Once again, this was a rebuke to the judges of Israel because they were not fulfilling their role with righteousness. They were not properly representing the law. They were not properly defending those who needed them to defend them against false accusations or abusive treatment. Who are the gods being referred to? Well, to prove that 
the gods were the judges of Israel. I have to take you back to Exodus chapter 21. Now remember, Jesus said in John chapter 10, have I not said you are gods, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came? I believe that meant not only did they have the written word, the Torah, at their disposal in order to properly differentiate between the guilty and the innocent, but also if they functioned properly in their role, the living word, the rhema word, the word of the Lord would come to them and God would inspire them If they were yielded and sensitive and prayerful people, God would have inspired them concerning the right decisions to make because the word of God came to them, to the judges of Israel. Now, let's go back to Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6. I know this gets detailed, but you can listen to it again and put all these pieces of the puzzle together. In those two verses, it says, if a servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go free. Well, this is talking about when a servant's time is up and he can go free and not any longer serve a master, a fellow Jew who is using his services. Uh, He can go free if he wants, but if he says, I love my master, and he wants to continue serving him, then his master will bring him to the judges. That's what it says in the Bible. However, the original Hebrew word is Elohim. So if you go to the Hebrew Bible, it will say that he shall bring him to the Elohim. Now the word Elohim is translated God, singular God, over 2,000 times, is translated God's, small letter G, over 200 times, but it's translated judges four times, four times. And right here is one of those incidences in Exodus 21, 6, then his master shall bring him to the Elohim, to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. And that's when that servant would wear an earring indicating he was committed to that family and to that master the rest of his life. All right, the other times that you find the word Elohim translated judges is in the next chapter of Exodus. Exodus chapter 22, verses 7 through 9, and it's dealing with theft. It says, if a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, and it's stolen out of the man's house. If the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges, the Elohim, to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's good. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, or for any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, in the Hebrew, the Elohim. And whomever the judges, the Elohim, condemn, he shall pay double to his neighbor. So this is what Psalm 82 is referring back to. The judges were called Elohim. 
whether that was something traditional among the people of God or something that God dictated. Certainly it was in the inspired Torah, and so God must have been behind the application of that title to the judges because, once again, if they functioned in their role correctly, they were God's mouthpiece. They were the highest authority. No one could refute what the judges said if they made a determination in a case. They truly heard from God. They were God's means of executing justice among his people. So in a sense, in a symbolic sense, certainly not in a literal sense, and definitely not in the sense of being worshipped like the false deities of other religions that have a whole pantheon of gods and goddesses. It wasn't in that sense, not in the sense of being worshipped, but in the sense of being mouthpieces of God. They inherited this title, Elohim. So, I can see the logic behind why some people interpret that in a new covenant sense. Because if we really function in intimacy with the Lord, and we function as his mouthpiece, we speak as oracles of God, we go through our lives on a day-to-day basis, and sometimes the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the word of the Lord comes to us, we present that revelation or that inspired message to the people we encounter, then in a very real sense, we're functioning on the same level as the judges of old would have functioned if they did their job properly. And sometimes we see miraculous results. I've seen the sick healed, demon-possessed people delivered because I functioned under divine inspiration and said what I was supposed to say, when I was supposed to say it, to the one I was supposed to say it to. But does that mean I have the right to refer to myself and others like me as Elohim, which is normally translated God or gods? Or does that carry this passage beyond its original intent? I believe it carries it beyond its original intent. If Jesus had intended for us to apply this title to ourselves, the born-again children of God of the new covenant, he would have made that a very plain declaration in a new covenant sense. But it was all a reference back to a rebuke of the judges. It was not intended originally as a revelation of our status in the New Testament. And I believe it could easily become a means of becoming very self-exalting and egotistical in laying claim to this status. So Jesus never spoke these words over you and I if we're born again spirit-filled believers. So I would much not, I would much rather not use the term for myself or for you. I'd much rather err on the side of caution because that passage applied to the children of God could become very erroneous, very blasphemous. Because if you remember what Satan said to Eve in the beginning was, you shall become as Elohim, knowing good and evil. And so the temptation in the beginning was to claim that status. And I certainly don't want to come that close to the darkness of the abyss of uncleanness and deception that Eden fell into when Eve 
received that seductive statement. Besides, the last verse in Psalm 82 says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Now, I do admit, though, that our destiny is intertwined with Jesus' destiny. And yes, he's going to judge the earth, and yes, he's going to inherit the nations, but yes, he also said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he did say that if we're faithful over what's given to our charge now, we will rule some over five cities, some over two cities, some over one city. Uh, The government of God will be made up of glorified saints that will represent him worldwide in the kingdom to come. And listen to this statement, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3 says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? And so Paul is putting forth the argument that we should be able to make judgments concerning the rightness and the wrongness of certain behaviors or the rightness or wrongness of the way certain relationships are dealt with in the church, because one day we'll judge the nations and judge angels. But does that mean we should claim the word Elohim as a reference to us? Absolutely not. Let God be God. Let God be Elohim. I'm satisfied just being a son of God. And if I walk faithfully as a son of God in this world, whatever God wants to take me to is fine, but I'm just happy serving him and knowing him and loving him and not going beyond what he has dictated and ordained for me. So I have two main conclusions. Number one, the New Age viewpoint, Jesus was not claiming inherent divinity for every human being when he made that statement, you are God. So you can put a big X on the New Age viewpoint. And the viewpoint of some Christians, Jesus was not implying a godlike status for all believers either. So you can put an X on that. Jesus is Lord. Let's lift him up to the highest place. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.